When I think about all the things the Lord has done for me, He's brought me throughout. And I know it's some about that day. Said it's gotta be the Lord's day. Day. Sunday morning, y'all. Be happy. don't they? And as we've experienced this song service already, you can feel there's something expressed in song. And each of us in many ways have a playlist. And we think of songs associated with moments. Sometimes they're happy moments. They're transitions in life. They're graduations. Sometimes they're sad moments. They're breakup songs. But songs have a way of expressing. And what we have in this Philippians passage is Paul, a man who was chained, changed by the resurrection of Jesus. He shares a hymn. It's come to be known as the Christ hymn. And we're going to allow this powerful hymn to guide our service today. You've already heard it read powerfully. And so what this hymn does is it sums up the gospel story. And the first part, this first idea is that Jesus came. He came near. He was God, was like God, was with God. He lived in heaven and all that heaven had to offer. And yet, when a time for a choice to be made, he made himself nothing. And he took on the very nature of a servant. So not only did he come to be with you and me, but he came as one who came to serve. Now understand, it was through Jesus that everything was ever created. And so through Jesus, you were created. This is the one that God created at the very beginning, and yet he took on the very nature of a servant. The king of kings. Wrapped himself up in flesh. That's where we get the word incarnation. This incarnate, in meat, in flesh. And he wraps himself up in this body and he walks along on the, the dusty roads and he experiences life like you and I experience. And he came near. And next to the resurrection, the next most powerful idea that you could possibly have is the idea of the incarnation. 
is that Jesus did not stand at a distance. And what you have throughout Scripture is the idea that God's going to come our direction. In Genesis, when there was a Garden of Eden, it was all perfect there. Adam and Eve, they walked along with God in the cool of the evening. There was this intimate, tight relationship until we messed that up. And through sin, we created this great gap between us and God. And the gap is way too large for us to clear. And yet God keeps coming our direction. And so he came to his people when they were in bondage in Egypt. And the presence of a burning bush first. And then through a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, he said he's with them and he led them. And then in the midst of that, he says, I want to set up residence among you. I want to move into your neighborhood. And so they create this tent that's called the tabernacle. And it went with them wherever they went, and therefore God went with them wherever they went, because it said he would dwell there in their presence. And then as you move into the New Testament, by the time we get there, once again, there's a temple in place now. And David had offered to build the, the temple, and God was really fine with just the tabernacle, but he said, David, you're not going to be the one that builds it. My son, your son Solomon will. And so this temple's built. And it goes through several different iterations, but when Jesus shows up on the scene, it's the temple that means God has come near and is in our presence again. But Jesus says, that's not enough. And so he puts on the flesh and he walks among us. And ultimately, as we're going to hear, he gives up his life on the cross. And at that moment, the temple, the curtain is torn in two. And the presence of God moves from a location into his people. Into you and into me. And I would challenge you to look at every other religious faith. And you will not find anything that begins to compare with that. Because our belief is simply this. I cannot work my way to God. I cannot perform enough be holy enough, be perfect enough, behave my way into relationship with God. There is only one way that I get a relationship with God. It's because He came our direction. He moved towards us. How powerful is that thought that somebody would move near to you? How often in life, do, when we're struggling with something, do we just wish somebody would be close by? Somebody would call. Somebody would show up. Somebody would drop by for a cup of coffee. Whatever it is, just a connection. And the message throughout Scripture is that He came. He humbled Himself. He became the servant and drew near. And that is the hope that we have. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling with, whatever prison you think you found yourself in, God comes through the walls and draws near. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship today, may this reality of you drawing near to us permeate our hearts. And whatever defenses we try to build, would you bust through those? And let us sense your presence in this place.
Thank you, Jesus, for not remaining where you could have remained, but wrapping yourself up in flesh and becoming one of us so that we can know what it's like to have your presence. It's in your holy name I pray, and we continue to praise. Amen.
As a child, I was a greedy little big thing. Right? Uh, I loved to hang out in kitchens. I would eat the cooking of my mother, my grandma, my uncle, my aunt, my grandpa. I ate everybody's cooking. Right? And so I was a student in the kitchen, and I learned a couple of things while being there. Uh, we would have family meals together. Everybody would come over to eat, and you know, I, I, I learned that if I stuck around and let everybody go before me, I could scrape the bottom of the pot, and then I can get the rest of the gravy and put it on every food group on the plate. Right? <laughs> and, and I learned to do this because if I sit at the end of the line, then I don't have to think about the people who are going to be eating after me. Right? I'm all in it for myself. All in it for myself. And so I wait, and I wait and let everybody go. And the harshest thing that someone could say to me was, no, you go first. <laughs> and so I believe that we all have that thing about us. That at some point in our lives, we all, at some point, seek to do things for us and make sure that the things that we do are in our best interests, right? We, some of us in here are older siblings and we have younger siblings and they don't always catch on to things as fast as we do, right? So whenever it's time to do our chores around the house, we, we con them into doing our chores because it's what benefits us the most, right? Uh, uh, it's, it's a selfish thing that we do sometimes, right? Sometimes we, 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 we go and, and, and we do certain things like we make these donations to the Miracle Children's Network and and, and, and we make donations at Best Buy and all these other stores and we put our names up on the wall like, okay, I did that. But sometimes we ignore the fact that we can be selfish. We can be selfish sometimes. And we can only be thinking about ourselves. We make these donations and, and there's people eating out of the trash cans and dumpsters down the street at the 7-Eleven. We rob our families because we want to get the big promotion so we work more hours because we want the promotion. Our families don't get the promotions. And you're probably looking at this scripture and saying, Chris, what in the world does this have to do with Philippians 2.8? Jesus, being 100% God, and 100% man was the most unselfish human being to ever exist. The Bible states that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. He humbled himself. Jesus chose humility. Jesus chose humility. Do you understand what that's saying there? This word here would mean, it's the bowing down of the heart. It's saying that, okay, you're first, I'm second. Jesus chose that for each and every one of us in this room. He chose to be humble. He chose humility. And if that's not enough, Jesus didn't choose to just be humble and say, okay, I'm second, you're first. But Jesus took it a step further. And the Bible says that by become, he even went to the extent of becoming obedient to death. As we think about this thing, there's not a lot of things that we would die for, you know. 
Maybe we die for our spouses. Maybe we would die for our children. Or even die to see the Cowboys win another Super Bowl. But Jesus died for each and every one of us, even though we were the cause of his death. And that's a wonderful thing. But Jesus didn't just go and, and give up the ghost, but it says that he was obedient to death on the cross. Paul takes this Philippian hymn and he paints this picture because you don't see a lot of people wanting to talk about the cross and what it means. Jesus made a choice to take the beatings. Jesus made a choice to have his flesh penetrated by nails. The process of crucifixion was terrible. Being placed in your wrist somewhere in the area between the hand and the wrist, having your tendons torn, your body weight is being supported by your wrist, nailed through both of your feet. He's on the cross for six hours, y'all. And eventually, people that were hung on the cross would die of fixation. Can you imagine? This is what Jesus did for us. And he chose it. He chose the pain. He chose six hours of suffering. And he chose the cross. When we look at our lives, because death is a hard thing, but when we look at our lives and we're wondering, what is it that I should be doing as a Christian? Are the decisions that I'm making the right decisions? Paul here tells us that this mind of, cross, uh, mind of Christ is one that is willing to die. I'm not asking you to give up your physical lives. But we're at some point going to have to die to self. At some point in time, we're going to have to die to self. We have to allow ourselves to come to ruin for the sake of others. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. We have to be willing to give until it hurts. That's the, that's the mind of Christ here. He had this mind about him. So how much impact would the church have on the community if we gave more to God? What if we cared less about our cultured norms and we worship together every Sunday? What if we stop holding on to hurtful things that have happened in the past and we reestablish relationship? Letting go of personal things, that's, that's a, a dying process. That part of you has to die so that something can be reestablished. What if we die to self so that others may live? When Jesus chose to die, he entrusted his spirit to his father. He entrusted his spirit to his father. And I know that uh, Scott talked about that. To entrust someone to something, you're trusting that they're going to take care of something after giving it to them. We have to trust that if I give up the things that are important to me, if I place myself second, God is going to take care of the rest. We have to choose death.
This is what is often referred to as communion, the Lord's Supper, or perhaps you've heard it referred to as the Eucharist. And we're going to share in this in just a moment. And if you're new with us or you're part of the Avenue G congregation, uh, we won't be passing an offering plate following this. We have offering boxes available. And I'd also say for the Avenue G family, we have a specifically marked one for you if you want to participate in the ministry of giving. And you'll find that box out in our foyer. Chris talked about his greediness at a family meal. Mm -hmm. And then we just sang a song about this being a meal. And what strikes me about this is it is a family meal. It, it may not look like much, but it really is a family meal where all across this globe today, some of it taking place in church buildings like this, some of it in grand cathedrals, some of it in churches made from mud and sticks, some of it underneath trees, this meal's being shared. And I love this, what it represents, because, again, two congregations coming together today, and we're going to share in a meal together, because this is the meal that Jesus is the host of. Right. And it's Jesus the one that provides this meal and has made it possible. So in a moment, Chris, if you'll pray over this, pray for our family meal together, and we'll have men from both congregations begin sharing um, from the back. But what I would say here is that this is special today, one, because you guys are with us, but I'd also talk about some legacy in this table. This table is not normally up here, but this table has a history behind it. This table comes from the Western Hills past when we were a church at uh, 7th and G here in town. And through our relationship with Chris and with this church, uh, you heard me announce earlier this year that our elders wanted to honor the legacy and honor our relationship by, by offering this as a gift from us to you. And so we wanted to give it to you earlier, but then we realized, you know, we should probably share a meal off of it together. Right. Right. And so as we share this meal, the bond that we have in Jesus because together we're brothers, right. together we're sisters, together we're followers of Christ, together. And from here on out, each time your congregation shares the meal each Sunday, you remind that we're with you. Right. And that together we're praising the name of Jesus. So Chris, I'm going to ask you, if you're, and Chris is going to pray for both the bread and the cup together, and then our service will begin as we share in this sacred, holy, family meal together. Chris. Dear most kind and heavenly Father, we come to you at this time, standing before you in all humility, thanking you for this bread, which represents your son's body, that's broken on the cross, and the cup, which represents his blood that was shed there. We pray that we may partake of the bread and the cup in a worthy manner. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen.
child I, I grew up poor you know we didn't know it but that's what we were we were poor I lived in the Wayman Manor apartments at one point in my life lived in a back room of my grandmother's house at the end of 24th Street here in Temple we lived on West Avenue D five people in a two-bedroom house and we were not a family that did a lot of traveling. I did not leave the state of Texas until I was 16 years old. As I grew up, didn't have a desire to travel, didn't have the means to either. God blessed me to later on attend Austin Graduate School of Theology where a doctorship 
He decided, hey, let's let's go to Israel. Let's go to Jerusalem. We'll do a study trip. We'll go and look at these different things. Walk where Jesus walked. Go see the land that we read about in the Bible. And I thought to myself, that sounds amazing. I've got to go. But the only problem that stood there was the fact that I didn't have the money. Didn't have the money to go. $3,500. Some of you might have some red bottoms on that cost that much. <laughs> Husbands just cringed. But I didn't have the money to go. And I, and I thought to myself, this is pointless. I'll just look at the pictures uh, when everybody gets back. Somebody encouraged me, oh, this thing called GoFundMe, give that a shot, see what happens. Maybe by the time the trip comes around, I had three months until the trip came to raise this money. And what happens is I post the trip up and a family within the church gave me everything and then some. Family was giving, friends were giving. I had over $4,000 in 24 hours. And this young man who grew up in Wayman Manor Apartments in East Temple, this young man who lived in a home with a family of five that only had two bedrooms, no front yard, no backyard. I know that's hard to wrap your mind around. This young man was able to walk in Jerusalem and see the walls and see the places that we read about every Sunday and Wednesday and through our daily lives. And what God did there for me at that point was he transformed. He transformed. He, he turned upside down who I was, my circumstances, and he made everything better. And I had to do nothing at all. I did nothing at all. There's some of us in here this morning, some of us in here this morning who were told by doctors, you only have months to live. You're going to be dead after six months. And yet you sit in here today because we serve a but God. There's some folks in here this morning who signed the paperwork and filed for a divorce and you thought that your life was over and you didn't think that you can go on. But thank God that we serve a but God. There's people in here who are in school at this moment and you've gone through the worst day in your life and you didn't feel as though that you could go on. You didn't even, you might not even want to have gone on. But thank God that we serve a but God. We serve a God who will take the impossible and make it possible. We serve a God who will change your circumstances, who will transform who you are and what you have into something that is so much more. I'm sorry for bumming you out with the death piece. <laughs> but we got to go through some dark times because it helps us to enjoy what God has for us on the other side. The Bible reads in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore, God exalted him. This therefore, there, peace, he's saying, because of what I said before, because Jesus was willing to leave the majesty and the glory of heaven and put on this flesh where we feel pain and we feel all of these emotions, because he was willing to do that, 
Because he came and was obedient to the Father, he had an Abba Father relationship. He had that close relationship to where he could go and call God the Father Daddy. Because he had the relationship, because he was willing to die for each and every one of us, Paul says, because of this, God lifted him up. Because of this, God lifted him up to the highest place. And I need you to understand this morning that there are going to be some times in your life to where you're going to face some things that look like they're going to die, and sometimes they will die. It's scary. It's scary to face death. But I need you to understand that when Jesus died, he was put into a borrowed tomb. When Jesus died, he was put into a borrowed tomb. And I, I want you to understand the significance of that. Because if you have good manners and you borrow something, what do you do when you finish with it? You give it back. Jesus didn't go to the tomb to stay there. Jesus didn't go to the tomb to stay there and rot, but he got up because God exalted him because he was all of those things. He was obedient to the point of death. He came down and he did what his father wanted him to do, and he had a relationship to where he didn't have to raise himself up for the dead. God raised him up. Some of you this morning, you are dealing with a borrowed tomb. You're dealing with a borrowed tomb. You have a borrowed tomb in your life. Your marriage is failing. And it's a borrowed tomb. It looks like this is the end. Your children are not acting right. You know that you did your best to raise them, but they won't do right. It's a borrowed tomb. You're trying to have children and you can't have children. God, why is this happening to me? That's a borrowed tomb. I need you to understand that these things that look like death, these things that look like death are not permanent to God. The Bible reads and continues in verse 9. He says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, even in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. I need for you to understand that God will take these things that look like they're failing these things that are dead in your life, and he will give them life. He will give them life. You may see, it's impossible. I can't do this. My husband can't help me with this. My children can't help me with this. My best friends can't help me with this. Social media sure can't help you with it. And God will take the impossible and make it possible. But the thing is, you have to humble yourself. You may be in an impossible moment right now. You're losing and honestly can't remember when the last time was that you were winning. But I need to impart some wisdom to you at this moment. Do not leave God. Do not leave God. Be obedient to his will and humble yourself. Because what God did was he allowed the ugliness of the world, the ugliness of sin to overcome Christ for a moment. But then he rose. He raised Jesus from the dead. And I need you to understand this morning that you too can rise. You too can have your life transformed. You can have a reversal of fortune in your life. 
If this morning, I want you to stand up if God has raised you from a situation that you thought was dead. Stand up. If God has taken something in your life that you thought you couldn't come back from, that you thought that you could not benefit from, I need you to stand up and let the other folks know that I rose. Look to your neighbor and say, God did it. Don't be afraid. Look to your other neighbor and say, God did it. And just like he rose Jesus from the dead, I need you to understand that he can do the same thing in your life today. But we have to be like Jesus. What Jesus did when he was here on this earth, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And I need you to understand that you too can be human and have God in you. It's possible. If you have not experienced the power of God, if you have not seen God change your fortune, when you knew that you were done, when you knew that your situation was dead, when you knew that you were gone and done for, look around. These people are living witnesses that God will raise you. And if you have this mind of Christ to where you put yourself second, to where you lose yourself for the sake of others, understand that you can endure because he endured. The same. Oh, my.
is risen today. Hallelujah. Sons of men and angels say, He is not here. He has risen, just as.